Volume. I'm Paul McNally. Let's start today with Daniel Knutzer, the founder and editor of Viewfinder. Fairly early on in lockdown, it became evident, I guess, to me that the the very thing that we've been investigating, abuses by the police, uh, lack of oversight, were really manifesting and coming to the fore and also coming into focus in the first couple of days of lockdown enforcement. Viewfinder is an investigative journalism startup that has made a name for themselves looking into the violent and abusive behavior of the South African police service. There were many videos being shared online, a lot of discussion, a lot of reports of heavy-handedness, and also indeed of, of a failure of oversight or a sense that people didn't have recourse if they were being abused by the police. Daniel sent us a voice note over WhatsApp saying that during the lockdown, people were immediately focused on the police. That's how we produced this show. We asked journalists, editors and startup founders to send us voice notes over WhatsApp. There was a sudden flurry of attention and focus on this issue of heavy handedness in the enforcement of lockdown. You're listening to Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. This show is brought to you by Volume and the South Africa Media Innovation Program. For each episode, we're going to go inside a different newsroom or organization and explore the challenges that they are facing with reporting on COVID-19. And for this episode, we are with Viewfinder, a startup that focuses on producing accountability journalism in the form of articles and documentaries, mostly around the police. We're still with Daniel as he decides what his organization is going to focus on during COVID-19. There was a decision that we had to make fairly early on, myself specifically, as to what role we would try and fill. It was evident that we weren't going to be able to compete in terms of the hard news, breaking news of events occurring on the ground. We just had too many quality roving reporters for News24 and the like. Despite this, Daniel sees a gap the viewfinder could fill. What we decided was to take a more active monitoring role of what reports were coming in, what impact this was having on broader policy and higher level discussions around the lockdown and civil society and government, and then also incorporating our own findings from the data and the investigation we've done to date. This would bring generalized facts about the extent of the brutality during lockdown and root them in what we already know about policing in the country. And so our first article was an attempt at, at doing just that. We, we looked at reports that there had been three alleged killings by police during the first three days of lockdown. Um, and then we use that fact and the attention that there has been on this issue as a as a platform and an opportunity to highlight that this is not out of the ordinary statistically in terms of the rate at which police kill or are, are alleged to kill people in South Africa. Essentially, COVID-19 put attention on the police, but the violence isn't unique to this time or special at all. This is a perpetual issue in that that it's something that we should look at addressing not just in the lockdown, 
context, but also in the broader context, to indeed use the lockdown as an opportunity for a, a more honest and deliberate reckoning with, with the scourge of police abuses and the lack of oversight in our society. Hi there, my name is Mia Arden and I work for Viewfinder as a journalist and producer. I also manage our digital engagement. Mia says in this time of COVID-19, her work at Viewfinder has drastically changed. I was in the middle of an investigation into a heritage protected piece of land that a big property developer is wanting to build an office block over. And I was at the stage of the project where my pitch was more or less refined My sources and characters were kind of decided on and briefed, and I was almost ready to start shooting. But of course, with COVID-19, interviewing with a cameraman is no longer an option. So that got placed on hold, and initially I was a little bit disheartened by this, but I came to realise it's just patience, and um, it's still going to happen. So in the meantime, I've been working on my digital education starting to learn more about data analytics and setting targets and executing campaigns. Um, I'm still quite new at this kind of thing. So through various Zoom sessions with experts, I've started learning how to navigate and optimize MailChimp, build pop-ups and do various other things back end on our site. Mia is also reflecting on how Viewfinder can survive during this time. With legacy print brands like Associated Media Publishing liquidating during lockdown, it's clear to me that we have to be adaptable. Even large organizations are struggling, so it's important that we stay relevant to our readers. And reporting on police brutality during lockdown is certainly a great way to do that. Here's Daniel again on another role that Viewfinder is perfectly positioned to take over during lockdown. To fact check and to vet the statements that were coming out of the National Command Council, specifically the police minister, Becky Tele. And in the first week of lockdown, the minister said something which struck us, first of all, as odd, slightly suspicious, and something definitely warranting a deeper interrogation. What he said concerned the first death as a result of police action during lockdown. The death of a man who we now know to be Pietrus Michels, a 55-year-old man from Eitzig, Ravensmead in Cape Town. And early reports indicated that Mr. Michels had been assaulted by police before succumbing um, and, and passing away at home. Mr. Michels was confronted by the police on the day for having bought um, two quarts of beer, allegedly, and that this was obviously uh, prohibited by lockdown regulations, and that precipitated a confrontation with the police, but then also an assault. The minister said that the death was of natural causes. They said... Mr. Michels had suffered a heart attack and that he had, as a result, not been killed by the police... This piqued our interest because we've seen this rhetoric around death investigations by the Independent Police Investigative Directorate before, and we confirmed as well through Becky Tele, the minister's own words, that he had been briefed on that outcome by the police watchdog. 
And that statement, that questioning of that statement, really would define the next couple of weeks for me in terms of investigating, testing, and corroborating, and indeed critiquing the decision to clear police of wrongdoing in this particular case. This then raises a red flag about numerous other deaths. We knew from previous cases, of course, that heart attacks could be triggered in susceptible people by the trauma or the adrenaline surge brought on during an assault. And so the decision to clear the police of wrongdoing was premature. After long consultation, first of all, building rapport with the family and establishing that they felt that justice had been miscarried, um, we endeavoured to do two things, to establish independently that indeed an assault on Mr. Michels had occurred, and also to establish uh, with reference to forensic pathology that such an assault could have acted as a trigger event and likely did in, in inducing or triggering a heart attack. To corroborate what happened during the alleged assault suddenly was a huge challenge. Everything had to be done remotely. Managed to reach three eyewitnesses, three independent eyewitnesses that all corroborated having witnessed an assault on Mr. Michels. Not only that, but also when read against the legal limits or the confines on the use of force uh, by police officers, we established that the circumstances of the assault were such that it was probably unlawful for the police to have assaulted Mr. Michels. There was talk of a hammer being used in the initial assault. And, of course, hammers are not police-issue weapons for visible policing, and that would and that would indicate another breach of, of law or at least rules and standing orders by which the police are bound. The last task was to establish that there was some sort of link between the assault and the heart attack. Not necessarily direct causality. Um, that's, that's not the argument that forensic pathologists make, but that there is importance in looking at the circumstantial evidence of what occurred in the death of a prior to the death of a patient when interpreting autopsy results. So they reconnected over the phone with a long-standing friend of Viewfinder. Steve Naidu, Dr. Steve Naidu, who's a forensic pathologist based in Durban, who was also an expert witness in the inquests into the apartheid-era death and custody cases of Neil Agate and Ahmed Timol, which have been reopened in the High Court, I think, in Pretoria recently. Dr. Naidu was able to make a case that the death needed to be looked at. Even though it was due to a heart attack within the circumstances and that the circumstances needed to form part of the investigation, not just the autopsy finding of a natural cause itself. And what's important is this isn't likely to be a standalone case. This might have bearing on hundreds of other cases, death in police custody cases, which have been similarly attributed to IPID as having been arisen from natural causes. Here's Mia again. It's the morning of the 7th of May, and once again I'm in my flat drinking coffee again. Been overdoing it a bit with the coffee. Um, yesterday, more or less towards the end of the workday, I caught myself just staring at my laptop screen, not doing anything. 
because where's there to go? So after aimlessly scrolling through social media and feeling a little bit sorry for myself, I got up from my desk, I stepped away from my laptop and sent out a bunch of messages and made some calls to my sources um, for the investigation that I've been working on that's been put on hold. Of course, lockdowns affected all of us, including the people I'd been speaking to quite extensively while gathering my info for the investigation. So it's a bit weird now reaching out again. I don't want to dive straight back into things like there hasn't been a whole pandemic. So I'm just checking in with them first before we start speaking about preparing them for the interviews. Also today is a big day with regards to the impact of their police brutality reporting. Day was pretty big um, on that front. I uploaded a hard news article written by Daniil on how Viewfinder's expose helped cause a U-turn in the case of Pietrus Michels um, and that death during lockdown. IPED is reopening that case after pressure from Parliament and it's always incredible to see our work have that kind of impact. The article was co-published with Ground Up and then syndicated to the Daily Maverick and The Citizen. We asked the associate editor at Ground Up to send us a voice note over WhatsApp about Viewfinder's work. My name is Anita Dunwa and I work at Ground Up, which is a small online news agency which focuses on social justice issues. And our objective is to complement the work of the mainstream media by going where they don't go, reporting on issues which they don't cover, and then offering our material for free under a Creative Commons license. Groundup has been working with Viewfinder since they launched in October 2019. For Groundup, Viewfinder provides a very necessary complement to our quick daily stories, a deeper dive into the big issues. So, for instance, Viewfinder's meticulous investigation into police brutality offered our readers new insights based on months of careful, painstaking work, which we are not in a position to do. A leader says the work Viewfinder has done during COVID-19 has been vital. I think it's been vital for two reasons. First, Viewfinder has shown that the police transgressions which we see during the lockdown are sadly taking place all the time, that the problem is not new and not specific to the lockdown, quite the contrary. And second, by focusing on the Michels case, Viewfinder has prompted a new official investigation into the death of Petrus Michels, hours after witnesses saw him being manhandled by police. This is a victory for justice and a reward for good journalism. Alida edited the piece with Daniel. I worked with Daniel editing the Michels piece, and our objective was both to do the Michels story justice and to use it to highlight a much wider problem. We had to decide how much data to use. Viewfinder has gathered together a unique set of information on the cases being investigated by the police watchdog. All of it important, all of it precious. But the risk, as usual in these stories, was that if we put in too much information, we might lose the reader who was gripped by the story of Michels' death. So Daniel would probably have left in more background. I'd probably have taken more out as his editor. The, the final version is a compromise, and I hope it strikes the right note. Here is Mia again. So cards on the table, I am a smoker. And I'm on like my last, second last box of smokes. I bought two cartons before lockdown started because prepared, right? And obviously I didn't anticipate the extension, the cigarette ban, 
the reversal of the cigarette ban and then the reversal of that reversal. So now I'm sitting with one box left and I'm feeling a little bit stressed out, like a little bit anxious about that situation. Um, so please bear with me as I try not to swear. As for the police brutality reporting, things are growing. We've continued to report on police brutality during lockdown and we have been churning out content at quite a remarkable rate. But I think it's also important to remind ourselves that we are not a hard news company and it's okay for our pieces to be more analytical and spaced out and for our approach to be kind of less frenetic and more considered than that of the reporting world, particularly now when people need a more considered and less frenetic voice um, from their news sources. My name is Lenina Rasul. It is Wednesday, the 6th of May, 2020, at about 3.30 in the afternoon. Lenina started at Viewfinder just before lockdown began. And so while starting a new project and job under normal circumstances is quite daunting, doing it under lockdown was new territory for me. Lenina, even during lockdown, is still pursuing an investigation. And it involves child abuse. Journalism is funny. You spend weeks, sometimes months, chasing sources, and then like rain, they all come back to you at once. It's like magic. And it's where I am in my story right now. I'm playing around with tech for recording calls. The apps I used before are not working, possibly due to some tech update. And most people are using WhatsApp for calls anyway, which can't be recorded except perhaps on speaker, which is a challenge when you have small kids in the home running around and screaming throughout the day. I'm sure there's a solution and I'm sure I'll figure it out. Lenina is also preparing for some of the difficult conversations she knows she's going to have. Reporting on difficult and emotional topics like death, injustice, and in this case, child abuse is hard. On Saturday past, I spent an hour on the phone with a mother whose young child had been abused. She spent half of the call in tears. The next day, yesterday, was Mother's Day. And as a result of that call, it was bittersweet. In fact, it was just downright depressing. And I'm raising this because the onset of corona hasn't just changed the way we work, it's changed the way we cope with work. And it's important to acknowledge that. Nina says we've got to make an effort to separate our work and our home life. Working remotely means the lines between home and work have blurred considerably, and yet many of the things we're reporting on are not dinner table material. And working through this with colleagues and editors or even a psychologist is just no longer the same. Even if we do find the time or ways to debrief, that's also done remotely. The International Journalism Network has a great article on mental health tips for journalists. They refer to self-care as flattening the stress curve, which is kind of catchy, but it's a serious issue. Just because we're still working, it doesn't make us immune to all the different aspects and effects of COVID-19. As journalists, as truth-tellers, as whistleblowers, and as listeners, it's more important than ever for us to find ways to take care of ourselves. Here's Daniel again. The attention and the traction that was garnered around the publication of our expose on IPID's decision to clear police in the Michels death case from Ravensmead on the first day of lockdown, and that resulted in IPID re-looking at its decision to close the case recently and reporting to Parliament that indeed it had been reopened 
uh, as a case of police assault. And we feel that that was a really tangible impact, not just um, for this family in this case in particular, but also around the broader question of how these decisions are made um, to clear police of wrongdoing through what essentially amount to deficient investigative work. Here's Mia again, and she has very few cigarettes left. Today is the 11th of May, and this morning I tried out a few stretches and some calm meditative music in the morning to help ground me a bit so that I don't wake up in a frenzy. Um, I've also opened all my windows for some sun and fresh air, and I'm feeling a bit more optimistic than usual. At Viewfinder, we have three investigations in the pipeline, which will be ready to be produced as documentaries in the coming weeks and months. So we're not going to slow down. Rather, we're going to be adaptable and safe about moving forward. We are currently working out budgets, comparing rates, and strategizing around how to broaden our margins by doing more production work in-house over time through constantly upskilling ourselves and working with like-minded people and like-minded organizations. This has been Media Diaries, the COVID-19 edition. I'm Paul McNally. The show has been brought to you by Volume and the South African Media Innovation Program. Check out more information about the show either at www.volume.africa or at samip.mdif.org. That's samip.mdif.org. The music for this episode was composed by John Bartman. Next week, we will go inside another media organization and see how they are coping and innovating when it comes to reporting on this crisis. Next week is the last episode of the season, so be sure to tune in. Goodbye. Volume.